Well, how are we doing this morning? Everybody blessed, good, good. Blessed because Alabama won a game last night, or <laughs> Amen. There we go. There we go. He's risen indeed. Well, it is good to bring the word to you this morning. I want to publicly thank Brother Morris for proclaiming the word last week. Lots of good words, uh, encouragement from his message on Philemon. Thanks to Jared. It is up on our website. I've already listened to it. You can listen to it as well. Um, just a wonderful little, as Morris said, a wonderful little postcard. You know, you can read it uh, on your lunch break, any break, uh, and just seeing God's grace and mercy and forgiveness through that gracious plea for Onesimus. And so I encourage you to, to go back and listen to that sermon if you haven't, or to listen to it again. But this morning, I want to uh, return to the book of Matthew. We're going to read, we're going to continue in Matthew uh, this week and next week, and then um, we'll have a bit of a Christmas message on the 23rd, the 16th. I know you've heard multiple times, but uh, Paul is working on a great musical number, uh, or performance. <laughs> I don't know my musical terms, obviously. And it's, it's going to be amazing because I'm involved. Um, not singing, that's the amazing part, but I'm going to be reading, and so I was blessed to be asked to be involved as the narrator, so just looking forward to that. But that's uh, in two weeks, two weeks from today, on the 16th, so invite friends. But this morning, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 17, the first 13 verses. And we do not have a lot of time, but this is such an important section and it's one of those sections, I'm just going to give you the, the end game, to give you the end of the story. And I know you've read this before, I'm sure you've heard of even a, a sermon on it before, but this is one of those sermons where sometimes there's a, a command to obey, something, a uh, question to ask ourselves. This is a passage where it leaves us in awe, where we should be left in awe of who Christ is. And so would you stand with me as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word? We're going to read the first 13 verses. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. They did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased. 
so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We praise your holy name. Father, help us to thirst after you, to thirst for righteousness, to thirst to obey you. And Father, if we are your people, if we have been called by your grace out of darkness into light, Lord, let us be in awe of who you are. Let us obey you fully. Let us speak of your truth and love to others. And Lord, we thank you that we know the full story. We know Christ has died. We know he was buried. We know he was raised from the dead. So we have been empowered by your Holy Spirit to go and to proclaim the good news. But Father, today, let us look upon your word and see what you have done through the transfiguration that has changed Peter, James, and John, but also who has changed us. That we see that your son Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah. Father, sanctify your people. Make us more like your son Jesus Christ. Conform us into your image. Lord, lead us by your spirit. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Okay, as I said, we have a lot of ground to go through. We've got a lot to speak of. And just by way of reminder, we are in Matthew 17 of 28 chapters. So obviously we're in the middle of the book, but also in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And we see that Jesus is beginning to pull back the veil. He's beginning to reveal who he is more and more, that he is the Son of Man. But he is also the Son of God. He is the Messiah, and the, the disciples are beginning to understand more and more. You know, uh, Peter in, in Matthew 16, he said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. But even as he speaks that, Jesus says, This has been revealed to you from my Father in heaven. And so he is speaking of that which he doesn't even fully know. And so the disciples are understanding more and more of what God is doing. And so at the beginning of this passage, we see six days has passed. Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. And so these are the inner three. Many of you probably know this. Jesus has 12 disciples, and they are his crew. But amongst his crew, there's the three inner, the inner three, the favorites, if you will. These are the ones that he spent the most amount of time with. And among Peter, James, and John, they are about to get a lesson. They are about to hear more about who Jesus is. And we see that they go up a mountain. They're not in trouble. Unfortunately, whenever um, I tell someone, can you come in my office for a second? Sometimes they say, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So they're not in trouble with Jesus, and they're not on a men's hiking trip, but they are with Jesus to see more of who he is. We are going to get a preview of glory, a preview of who God is. And we see that they are on a mountain. Some people say it was Mount Hermon. Some people say it was Mount Tabor. I think it's probably Mount Tabor. And as they go up this mountain, immediately Matthew dives into the text. He dives into the the situation. In verse 2 it says, He, that is Jesus, was transfigured before them. He's transfigured. And so we don't know all that took place here. This is one of those settings. Again, people have talked about, I wish I could be in this conversation. I wish I could see this scene. This is top material you'd love to see what happened 
You'd love to hear what happened. And so we only get a glimpse of what happens here, but there's this transformation of what takes place with Jesus. And we, we get a little bit of detail here. We see he's transfigured in three ways. First, his face is shining like the sun. Well, if, have you ever, I hope not too long, but have you ever looked up at the sun? Don't have a sun stare competition. But if you've ever looked up at the sun, it's blinding. And so here, Jesus, his face is shining like the sun. So just this illuminating, amazing, brilliant um, display where his face is shining like the sun. Number two, his clothes are white as light. So again, this blinding, illuminating, uh, majestic situation is taking place here with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. But then, if that's not amazing enough, we see he's speaking with Elijah and Moses. Now, we just kind of take that for granted. Okay, he's talking, he's having a conversation with Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses haven't been around for a while. And so here he's talking with Elijah and Moses. This is significant, and Peter is about to pick up on this. But I want us to see, very importantly, that this is a preview of future glory. This is a preview of what is yet to come. Um, not only um, in the new heavens and the new earth, but even in the New Testament. Look with me in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. We read these words. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter, James, John, these witnesses, they saw They heard and they experienced the glory that can only be explained as glory from above. And then even later in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, we read these words. It says, In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So again, we're seeing pictures um, here in Second Peter and Revelation, and then in in the eternity that is yet to come, of a glorified man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But not only do we see future glory for Jesus, but it's also a preview for us, future glory that is yet to come. And also, this is alluded to, but not quite explicit in this passage, suffering. This is a theme throughout the New Testament. Um, If you write something down, this would be important to write down. Suffering precedes glory. Suffering always precedes glory. Jesus predicts his death multiple times, three times here in the book of Matthew. And he says here, even in this passage, that the Son of Man must suffer. And so we want we want to reverse that order. We want glory, then suffering, or just leave the suffering off altogether. But suffering precedes glory. But Peter is impressed. He he speaks his mind as he often does, and, and as this is unfolding, as Jesus is transfigured, as he's speaking with Elijah and Moses, Peter has in mind the Old Testament, and he says, Lord, it is good that we are here. Well, yes, Peter, that's right, it is good that you're here. Um, but then he goes on, and he's just speaking, you know, just whatever words come to his mind, he's speaking, he says, if you wish, Lord, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Thankfully, Peter recognized something special is going on, 
and he suggests that they build three tents. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this passage, I'm like, this is out of left field. What is he talking about? What? We're, this is not Home Depot tent-making class on Saturday morning. Why is he suggesting tents and tabernacles? Well, he's most likely referring back to the Old Testament with tabernacles associated with the Feast of Tabernacles when the Jews built themselves, built shelters for themselves, and lived in them for seven days. So Peter is attempting to build tabernacles for Jesus, for Moses, and for Elijah. And so he has good intentions... But he misses the mark. So Jesus doesn't say, go ahead, start building. No, we don't need tabernacles. The one who tabernacled amongst us is here. He is the one that Moses and Elijah are pointing us to. We see that the law, according to the Gospel of John, was given through Moses, but grace and truth has come through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is teaching us, the Father is teaching us, We're to look to Christ. We're to look to Christ. We're to see Christ. We're to look upon Him. We're to look to Him. And we see that we are to listen to Him. We are to listen to Christ. So we see a preview of glory, a future glory. The second thing is a purpose through divine glory. This is not just a supernatural experience, but in verse 5, it is that, but it is more than that. It says, He was still speaking, Peter still speaking, And now, a bright cloud overshadows them. And a voice from the cloud says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. We've heard this before. We've heard this before even in the Gospel of Matthew. When have we heard this before? Baptism. Amen. If we look back at Matthew 3, Stephen, you can put it on the screen if you want. At Matthew 3, we see Jesus is baptized. He ascends from the, or he comes up from the water, and the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. This is hearkening back to Deuteronomy, when it says there's going to be a prophet that's raised up. You must listen to him. And so here, we see the climax of the narrative. We see a preview of future glory, but the purpose of divine glory is to look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. The prophets, the covenants, the laws, all of it is pointing us to Jesus. All of this is see, is for us to see that He is the Messiah. He is the Savior we must submit to. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. This is a blending of, of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. And so through this situation, through the transfiguration, the Father is telling Peter, don't worry about the tents. Look to Jesus. He's telling us, listen to Jesus. We are not to look for someone else. We are not to look for another prophet. We are to obey Jesus Christ. So we see a purpose through divine glory, and that purpose is to listen to Jesus. So the disciples are there, Peter, James, and John. They hear this voice that they are to listen to Jesus. What happens in verse 6? The disciples hear this. They fell on their faces and were terrified. That's natural. I would have been terrified as well. Up on a mountain, hearing a voice from above telling us to listen to Jesus. This is a, a frightening scene. As they hear this voice, they fall 
They are frightened. They're terrified. But what happens in verse 7? Jesus comes. Jesus touches them. And what does he say? He says, rise, have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The disciples move from fear to faith. We see the third thing, a word that changes our journey. The disciples move from fear to faith. They are filled with fear, naturally. But then Jesus comes and he changes that. I'm pretty sure I would have been terrified as well. You would have been terrified as well. Up on a mountain, hearing a voice, unsure of what's going on. But the disciples don't cower in fear long. They hear their master and teacher and leader, Jesus, speak to them. These are words that are reassuring. This is not a slogan. This is not an agenda. This is not, hey, we're a part of a crew. We're going to have, have no fear. No. He is telling them to rise because He's with them. You can imagine the t- terror that's pumping through their veins. This is somewhat similar to what we see in Daniel chapter 10 in the Old Testament. Daniel 10, we read this. Daniel says, I alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So very similar to what happened to Daniel. He was afraid. He was terrified. He fell to the ground. But here we see a difference. They fall to the ground, but they are told to rise because Jesus is with them. Jesus is with them. The disciples hear the words of Jesus, and now they only see Jesus. Elijah, Moses, no longer there. So Jesus' power, His presence, and His personal touch impact the disciples. They hear the words, rise, have no fear. makes me think of the end of the book in 28 when He says, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus' words are not just words for Peter, James, and John. They're words for us as well. Jesus encourages us. His words change us. And again, the theme, we must be in awe of Jesus. We must listen to Him. Let us go quickly through the rest of the passage. Verse 9, they begin their trek down the mountain. They begin their descent. You can imagine what that trip was like. They go from te- cowering and terrorized in fear to now emboldened, ready to speak, ready to talk to one another. You can you remember what that was like? And you can just imagine the clamor back and forth with them as they are speaking, thinking about all that took place. And of course, Jesus knows, knows their hearts. And Jesus tells them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So again, Jesus knows that the time has not yet come for his crucifixion. We've heard, we saw this earlier in Matthew 16 when he says, don't reveal my identity. They want a Messiah. The, the, the kind of Messiah they want is not the Messiah that they are going to get. I'm not a political Messiah. 
I'm the Messiah sent from above. And so the time to speak, the time to proclaim the vision will come as we get closer to the end of the book. But now the disciples are not to speak of what they have seen and heard. So the disciples collectively, they ask this question, well, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? They're a bit confused. They're thinking again back to the Old Testament in Malachi 4. We don't have time to look at that right now. But their expectation is that Elijah would come to restore all things. Jesus affirms this in verse 11. So what's the problem? The problem is if Elijah is going to come, he's going to bring justice. He's going to bring peace. He's going to restore all things. And so the problem was if Elijah is coming and there's going to be justice, how could the Messiah be killed? So their struggle is with this prediction that the Messiah would die. D.A. Carson says this, he says, there the disciples' confusion is not merely chronological, though that may be involved, it is their inability to find a framework in which they believe the Messiah would die. We didn't look at this a couple weeks ago, but even after Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, I'm going to die, Peter says no. And so they don't understand all that's about to take place. The disciples are not the only ones who struggle with this prediction. Muslims, others, deny the fact that Jesus died on the cross. But the cross, as we know, is central to Christianity. It's not just an interesting detail, but it's a fact. And it begins to unveil God's plan of redemption. His plan of redemption would be unveiled to the disciples. It's been unveiled to us. And so Jesus tells him, tells the disciples that Elijah has come. He was not recognized. Jesus was using Elijah as a type and a shadow pointing forward to John the Baptist in verse 12 and 13. John the Baptist was the forerunner, paving the way for the promised one, Jesus the Messiah. And so now the disciples begin, begin to understand a bit more. And Jesus again reminds them that the transfiguration is just one step closer to the crucifixion. The cross is coming. The cradle is just the preview of the cross. So we must remember that the cross is coming. Jesus gives us reminds us of this, that He will certainly, the Son of Man, suffer at their hands. He would be betrayed by the religious rulers, and He would soon suffer and die on the cross as He has predicted. So thankful for Brother Jack's prayer as we took the Lord's Supper, because we we are privileged. We have eyes of faith greater than Peter, James, and John, because we have seen the whole story. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. But He rose again. He's been ascended to the Father. He's ascended and He sits at the right hand of the Father. And so we worship. I want to leave us this morning in awe of who Jesus is. We worship the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man who has come to rescue and redeem you and me. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this glimpse this glimpse of glory through Your Word in Matthew. Lord, I pray that You will remind us of what has happened 
what is happening and what will yet come. Lord, we are so thankful. We are a privileged people. We are a bought people, a redeemed people who have been purchased by your own blood. So teach us, Father, to be in awe of you. Father, if we are in awe of you, there will not be a question as to whether we listen to you. So, Father, let us listen to you and obey you in all things. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that we will listen to your commands. I pray that we will be an obedient people as we are in awe of your Son, Jesus Christ, and as we are led by your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always teaches us to obey and follow Jesus Christ. He is Lord. Lord, we thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.